And today we are going to draw some lessons from this scripture that Vinicius read earlier today. That I think uh, lessons that apply to the fathers in the church. There are lessons who apply to the men in the church. And these are lessons that apply to actually any Christian, any believer in Jesus Christ. But I do have a special word for the fathers and for the men in the church. And also by extension, a word to anyone who is struggling in their spiritual journey. So before we open up scripture and uh, listen to God's word today, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we ask for God's direction. Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for the privilege of being here in your presence. We want to thank you, Lord, for uh, those who are members of this church who are here this morning and the visitors that we have welcomed here today as well. They, uh, they are the flowers in our congregation today. When we thank you, we thank you that they made the choice to be here and worship with us. We are also mindful, Lord, of those uh, members of our co congregation who are not able to be here today for different reasons and especially because some of them are ill. I, Lord, ask your blessing at this moment for our dear young sister, Caitlin, who was hospitalized this week, and we, we ask that you may continue to bless her in her recovery. Be with our brother Clifford in Trenton, with sister Luella, and with our church family, Lord, and all those who are maybe ill, may they be greatly blessed. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, prepare our hearts and minds to listen to your voice. May you use me as your instrument. And only that, may the words that I speak be blessed by you, be tempered with love and grace. And may we all leave this place later today refreshed by your word. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes. I am glad to hear that. Thank you very much, Marvin, for, for sharing that with us. So... You just heard, we are all welcome, you're all invited and welcome to go visit her. Maybe not, of all, not, of, not all of us at once, it may overwhelm her, but she is uh, welcoming visits. And so let's make that a, uh, a plan to go there. <clears throat> Someone asked uh, a young boy what he thought about Father's Day and What's your definition of Father's Day? So the young boy only said, I think Father's Day is just like Mother's Day. There is no difference, except that you don't have to spend as much on a gift. <laughs> maybe fathers are less concerned. That's, maybe that's what the, the young man thought, that fathers are less concerned with gifts than maybe mothers are. But uh, both mothers and fathers, they do appreciate uh, the love of their children and the care of their children. And sometimes, you know, the, I, I just said, you know, 12 years we've been here. Our children were five and three at the time. You can make the math. And sometimes I have to pinch myself and remind myself 
that my children are no longer babies, are no longer toddlers, and they will never again be. And so we need to be glad that they are growing and uh, maybe cherish those fond memories from their uh, childhood, but knowing that they need to grow, knowing that they need to become uh, adults and citizens. And like I said, there is no single day in our lives, once you become a father, once you become a parent, that you can say, today I'm not a father, today I'm not a parent. But maybe it is, it is good to have a time, you know, to set aside a time when you can think. And it doesn't have to be around this weekend. But you can think about fatherhood. You can think about sonship. sonship. Uh, and it may be a difficult time of the year for some people who have been used to, you know, being around their fathers. And maybe their fathers are no longer around. Or maybe there are people who never had a chance to have met their fathers. Maybe there are people who had a difficult childhood. And I am sensitive and I understand all of that. But the truth is that we, even though we, can no long, we cannot change the past, there is nothing we can do about the past. There is something we can do about today. There is something we can do about every day of our lives. And we can make good decisions that maybe even though we didn't have a good childhood or maybe our, our growing up was difficult, we can... We can ask God direction and help, not only to give us comfort, but also to help us that going forward will be the best father possible, will be the best mother possible, will be the best child possible, loving our children, loving our parents. I think it is also a time where fathers can be challenged to think about what it means to be a father. What is the real meaning of being a father? And going beyond that, what, what does it mean to be a man? What does God expect from you as a man? And even beyond that, not only what it, what it means to be a father and what it means to be a man, but what it means to be a godly man, a man after God's heart. When I say a man after God's heart, I think there is a Bible character that you may be reminded of. Who would that be? David. David is called a man after God's heart. And David, as he was uh, transferring the power, transferring the crown over to his son Solomon, David was about to die. His days were coming to a close. He called his son Solomon. And we find this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Of all the things that David could have said to Solomon, his son, of all the promises that he could have made, of all the charges he could have given to Solomon, this one thing David said to Solomon. The days of David, in verse 1, drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a what? A man. I was really wishing that the man would say that out loud. But uh, a woman said that. I am a little shocked. But let's give the man another chance. David turns to Solomon and charges him with these words. I go the way, maybe I'm reading from a different version here. I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself, what? 
a man. Prove yourself a man. Solomon started very well. Very well. Very connected with God. He asked God for nothing else than wisdom. But later on, I think he misapplied the charge that David gave him. And he had 1,000 women, that's what the Bible says, which did not make him any manlier, only causing problems, only drew him away. I'm not saying that the, the women were bad, but the fact that he had indulged into having 1,000 women. And so what is it that God is, God is expecting of you? Who is a man in this church? What does God expect from you? Well, the Bible gives several characteristics of a good and godly man. Let's look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. 1 Timothy. These are words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Paul says, these are characteristics you should be looking for in men... Who are supposed to serve in the church as elders and deacons. And Paul says that a godly man must be someone that is above reproach. Someone who is sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity that's the picture of a godly man that's what god wants to see in the man he has called to be his representatives here on earth and that's not all we go to first corinthians first corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 and 14 first corinthians 16 verses 13 and 14 and here's paul writing again He's writing to the church in, in Corinth. And Paul says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, maybe your version does not say act like men. Be strong. Maybe it says be brave. Uh, or something like that. But I'll tell you this. The word in the Greek here. This word about bravery, this word that's been translated as bravery or courage, this word comes from the same root as the word men comes, andros, men. And so the, the picture of a man has been closely associated even in this word with the idea of courage, with the idea of bravery. I remember when my daughter was very young. She may not like that I will say this, but uh, sorry. I just started. Now I have to finish. When my daughter was quite young, this was back in Brazil still. We lived in a place where sometimes, you know, bugs would come into her bedroom, into the house. And she would look at me and say, Daddy, bugs, bugs, bugs. And I would go there and take care of the bugs. And when there is a, a, a roach in the house... Usually the women ask that the men go there. And so men are, are associated with this idea of being brave, of being courageous, of resolving things. Exhibiting courage in the face of danger, being brave and courageous. But that's not only, that's not all. 
It's not just about killing bugs. It's not just about maybe carrying up boxes that are heavier than the women can do. It's not about that because actually some women have strong uh, muscles, a strong physique, and they can take care of, of weight as well. It is about being brave and courageous because we are grounded. We are solidly grounded in the truth. And we know that even though challenges may come, we are the ones who are going to steady the course of the ship and we are going to lead our families and those around us towards safety because we know that God's promises are true. So there is no fear in face of danger, not because of any special gift we have, but because we trust God's word and in his word his promise to take us home safely. So the men are expected to be like that. And fathers in particular, they are expected to be brave and to be courageous. The Bible depicts God as a, as a father. The Bible clearly depicts God as a father to his people, as a father to us. There are several passages, and I'm not going to look into all of them, but there are a couple of them that I'd like to draw your attention to. One is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 9. Jeremiah 31, and verse 9. Here the Bible says that they shall come with weeping and with supplications, and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And so why does God say that he is a father? Why, why does God close this statement by saying, I am a father? I am a father because a father cares. A father is someone who protects. A father is someone who leads. And I will cause them to walk safely because I'm going to be taking care of them. I'm going to lead them in a straight way. I'm not going to lead them to the precipice. I'm going to take care of them. And that's the picture of a godly father. That's the picture of God as a father. And that's the picture of fathers who want to be men after God. A godly father is someone who cares, protects. And leads. In the book of Isaiah, God's prophet Isaiah, just one book before Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2, God says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And so God is saying that he nourished and brought up his children. Sometimes we may use the word nourish and we may think of women uh, nourishing their children, their babies. And that is true. That's something that men cannot do. But God has given, placed himself in a position where he says, I nourish them. I bring them up. I am very aware of each step over of their development. I am helping bring them up. I'm taking care of them. So a father, a father after God is someone who provides, is someone who provides today, who has provided in the past and will continue to provide in the future. Even when your children grow up, 
you were still concerned in thinking about them and always taking care of them and providing as much as you can. A godly father is also someone who corrects and disciplines as God does. Because the Bible says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so fathers also discipline. Fathers also correct their children. But a godly father is also prepared to forgive their children. He's also prepared to forgive and to love no matter what. A father is someone who maybe your children think they will gonna, that you're going to punish them. But a father is prepared to take them in and say, I forgive you. And the Bible gives us a very precious example of a father who was a forgiven father. And that's found in the book of Luke in chapter 15 when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And this story has gone, gone down the centuries as the prodigal son story. And we refer to that story as the prodigal son, the prodigal son. But there is a key figure in that story which is the figure of the forgiving father. And that father is an image of our heavenly father who is always ready to forgive. Even though we may fail, he's willing to forgive and to take us in and to restate us to our status of children, of real children and not servants, not slaves. A real father, a godly father is someone willing to forgive. And in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 verses 12 to 15, Jesus says, Father, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so Jesus pictures God as someone who is willing to forgive. Someone who has the ability and the willingness to forgive. And so as fathers, we must be ready. We must learn to be quick to forgive. We must ask God to give us this ability to forgive. Even though sometimes you may have told your children something five times, ten times, a hundred times. And you may feel as if it is a difficult thing to forgive your child. But that's, that's only what God is asking of you. To forgive and love them. There is a Spanish story. A story that happened in Spain. Of a father and son who, who became estranged. And the son ran away and the father set off to find him. And the father was going all over the place trying to find that son whom he loved. But he couldn't find him. He, he worked on this for several months. For several months looking for his son all around the city. He could never find him. One day he had an idea. He went to, to a newspaper office, to the office of a newspaper. And he wanted to place an ad. And the ad simply said this. Dear Paco. Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Your father. On Saturday morning, on Saturday at noon, 800 Pacos showed up. All looking for forgiveness. All looking for the love of their fathers. A godly father is someone who is willing and ready and quick. To forgive. A godly father must be an example in all of these areas that I've been talking about so far. Bravery, courage, discipline, love of God, 
firmness in the truth, care, provision, guidance, willingness to teach, strength, forgiveness, love, self-control. Maybe that's why J. Edgar Hoover once wrote this, once wrote this, a poem. If I had a son, I'd do one thing. I would tell him the truth. I would never let him catch me in a lie. And in return, I would insist that he tell the truth. When children go astray, it isn't the fault of the children, but of their parents. A spoiled boy grows into a spoiled man. I would try to be a, I would try to be a pal to my boy. I would have my son go to church. What's more, I would go with him. But above all else, I would try to understand my son. For if I didn't, I would be a failure as a dad. And so all, all I'm saying here so far, it may seem, it may seem as too high a goal for you who is a father, who are a father, for you who are a, a man. It may seem uh, almost unattainable that I will be all of those things and brave and courageous and disciplined and, and self-controlled and uh, a godly father and the will, with willingness to teach and willingness to forgive. It may be too high a goal, but I'll tell you this. I want to encourage you fathers. I want to encourage you men. I want to encourage every single person here, including the women, to set your mark high. Not settle for the lower things in life. Set your mark high. I say to you today, my friends, some of you may think, I cannot remedy my defects of character. But if you come to this decision, that's a decision you are making. And you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life because you have made that decision. The impossibility of overcoming your sins, the impossibility of overcoming your defects of character lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. You must be willing to submit your heart to the full control of God. Then, and only then, victory will be assured. So set your mark, set your mark high. Set your mark high. I want to take you to the scripture that was read this morning. 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13 verses 14 to 19. And I want you to follow with me this reading again. 2 Kings chapter 13 verses 14 to 19. If you're still looking for the text, please say wait and I will wait. If not, we'll read 2 Kings chapter 13 verses 14 to 19. And here's the word of the Lord. Elisha had become sick with the, with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. 
And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha said, And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek, till you have destroyed them. Verse 18, Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you only strike Syria three times. This is quite a, a different story. Kind of unusual narrative. Where we see the man of God telling him to strike the ground and he does that. He first is told to shoot toward the eastward window. And he did it. And when he did that, the man of God says, uh, you are going to get complete, complete victory over, over Syria. Because the Lord's deliverance will be with you. As you have shot that arrow eastward, that symbolizes that as your enemies come from the east, you will be able to destroy them. But that was not the end of the illustration. Elisha tells him, now you take the arrows and you strike the the ground with them. And so the the king of Israel did. He struck once, he struck twice, and he struck the ground three times with the arrows. And then he stopped. The man of God said, in other words, you should not have settled for less. You should have not stopped. You should not never settle for little. You should have continued uh, striking, striking the ground maybe five or even six times because then you would have complete victory over Syria. But now you will only be able to, to, to overcome them three times. And if you go down to verse 25 in that same chapter, verse 25 of Second, thing, Second Kings 13, verse 25 says, And Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war. How many times now? Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. And so as the word of the Lord said, Joash was able to strike three times the king of Syria and defeat him. And recaptured the cities. But that was not enough. Because then later on. The Syrians came back. And so. I will tell you today. As a Christian. As a Christian. You have to persevere. You have to persevere through the end. It doesn't matter if you. If you depart from Oshawa. And you say I'm going to Belleville today. And you take your car. And you take the road. And you start making your way here. And you know it's just about 130 kilometers. 
You may have gasoline in the tank. You may drive well. The roads may be open and you are coming. But if you do not drive the entire 130 kilometers, you will never make it here. And so you cannot settle for less just because you are doing well. Just because you think you are doing well. Just because you think you are growing. And maybe I came to the point where now I can stop. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe you have struck a certain situation once. Maybe you have lifted up your prayers and prayers have ascended. And you're asking the Lord, Lord, deliver me from this. And you ask once and you ask twice. And maybe you ask ten times. But maybe you want to ask twenty times. If you asked, if you prayed about it fifty times, you want to pray a hundred times. You cannot stop before you have finished off. You cannot stop before the end. Particularly because you may not know when the end is. You can never give up while there is still breath in you. Do not settle for, do not settle for a dwarfed spiritual experience. Do not settle for little. Do not say, I am a sinner and there is no way I will overcome this weakness. I tried once, I tried twice. I've, I've asked for help, but I have not been able to overcome this. Do not say that, that you cannot overcome. You cannot overcome that all of yourself, out of yourself. That's absolutely true. But once you submit to God and you let Him take control, He will. He will take control of your life and He will help you overcome whatever it may be. And so I plead with you today, do not settle for little, do not settle for less. Aim high, set your mark high. You must aim high if you ever want to be in heaven. If you ever want to be with God in heaven, He is not going to take you up there if you are not willing. If you set your marks low enough, if you are not aiming high enough to be with God, He is not going to take you there. He is not going to do that against your will. You must desire it. You must let Him take control of your life. In the words, in the inspired words of Alan G. White, I read, Remember that you will never reach a higher standard than you yourself set. Then set your mark high. And step by step, even though it be, it be painful, even though it be by painful effort, by self-denial and sacrifice, ascend the whole length of the ladder of progress. Let nothing hinder you. Fate has not woven its meshes about any human being so firmly that he need to remain helpless and in uncertainty. I hope you heard that. If you have... If you have any questions about God's power and what God can do in your life, I will say this again. Fate has not woven its meshes about any human being so firmly that he or she need remain helpless and in uncertainty. Opposing circumstances should create a firm determination to overcome them. The breaking down of one barrier will give greater ability and courage to go forward. Press with determination in the right direction. 
And circumstances will be your helpers, not your hindrances. Be ambitious for the Master's glory. To cultivate every grace of character. And in every phase of your character building, you are to please God. And so, to all of you here present, present, I say again, set your marks high. But especially to the men here in the church. And even more especially to the fathers here. I will say the same thing. Set your mark high. Lead by example. Your children will only be inspired to set high goals once you set them for yourself. This was probably what motivated General Douglas MacArthur to read, or rather to write, the following prayer. The prayer of a father. Build me a son, O Lord. Build me a son who will be strong enough to know when he is weak. And brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. Give me a son who will be proud and unbending in defeat. But humble and gentle in victory. A son who will know that to know himself is the foundation stone of all true knowledge. Rear him, I pray, not in the paths of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenges. Here let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high. One who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep. One who will reach into the future, and yet never forget the past. And after all these are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor, so that he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. A touch of humility, so that he will always remember the simplicity of, two, the simplicity of true greatness. The open mind of true wisdom. The meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare in the sacred recesses of my own heart to whisper, I have not lived in vain. Therefore, brothers and sisters, men and fathers, shoot not one arrow, not true, not two, not three, but keep aiming high. Keep releasing those arrows day by day, moment by moment. Keep praying. Keep striving. Because God, because God is here to help you. And He wants to take you higher and higher. A little higher every day. So set your mark high.